Alrighty, take a seat if you will. We're going to get started here. Turn if you would to uh, Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, 1 and following. We're going to look at some great Bible stuff here today. My name is Dave Householder and I am blessed to be your Bible teacher. And if you've never been to our men's group, you men, you need to come to that. We're having our men's group tomorrow, and we always look at the Bible text for the upcoming Sunday. And the title we came up with as a group is The History and Mystery of Christmas. Because no doubt you've been told by people, by like high, high school atheists or whoever, that hey, Christmas is really, you know, it's got its roots in pagan holidays going way back when, and and a lot of the stuff we do for Christmas isn't really Christian, and Jesus probably wasn't born on the 25th, and on 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 and on. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the history of why we celebrate what we celebrate, and we're going to look at the Bible itself. And first of all, I, I do want to say something about history. History is always a mystery, because you can't go back and verify anything. And the problem with history is, that history is always written by the victors, the people who win. Every war is told from the, the perspective of the people who won the war. At the end of every war, they have war crimes trials, but they only try the people who were on the losing side. And the winners tend to write history. And so history is always a little bit biased. And so anytime we talk about cultural legends or how we celebrate holidays, it depends on who's talking because who's talking is going to embellish it in the direction of the way they want it to go. So everything we say about history is non-verifiable, and we do the best we possibly can. But the truth is, we don't know very much about the time of the Bible except from the Bible. Because people, when they were in big trouble, for instance, when the enemy horde was coming over the hill to sack the city, people would grab, what do you suppose they would grab? They didn't have photo albums. They, they grabbed their, their pets and their kids and probably their Bibles. And a lot of the other books have gone missing. Because, folks, if you think about it, if your house is burning down, are you going to save your, your high school chemistry book? Probably not. You, you leave it there. And so much of the history we have is from the Bible from those times, and we have very little outside of the Bible, so it's hard to know what happened. And then after the Bible was written, the Roman Empire crashed, and we have what's called the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages, and almost nobody could read. And so we lost a whole bunch of stuff for centuries, and those are the centuries where we started celebrating Christmas. So people say, well, it's going to be like this or it's like that. And well, maybe that's one way of looking at it. But I've got a different message about this today, that we can take almost anything that we do to celebrate Christmas and amplify the light of Jesus in it we can make it almost anything more spiritual, more Christian, more loving as we look at it. So we're going to look at those things as we go through this. So is it true Chris, Christmas has pagan roots? You hear that it's got roots in the Saturnalia from Rome or the Yule celebrations from northern Europe. You've heard of Yule logs and those kind of things. And yeah, there's, there's quite a bit of that going on. We're going to look at that stuff here. First, we're going to look at Isaiah 9, verse 2. Let's read this out loud together. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus. 
And some of the best stuff about the birth of Jesus was written in the book of Isaiah as a prophetic kind of thing because in the time of Isaiah, things were really dark. Things were not going well. The people of Israel were in big trouble getting beaten up on by virtually every other world power. The temple was being destroyed. People were going off into exile, and they were losing virtually every war and losing territory as they went. And in the midst of this, Isaiah writes this. Now, this might sound really optimistic during times like this, but when he talks about great darkness, he's not talking about some poetic thing. He's talking about real generations of historical darkness and decline, centuries of decline of the people of Israel and their kingdom. And yet he is a person of faith and a person with hope. So let's read this out loud together. One, two, three. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of death, upon them a light has shined. Now this was written in the Hebrew language. And I've told you before that Hebrew doesn't have a past, present, and a future like English. It's got two tenses, finished and unfinished. This one is in the finished tense. Folks, faith is always in the finished tense. It's seeing things that aren't finished as they are. If you're praying for healing, don't pray against the disease. Pray for strength and health. You focus on the goal. Exactly, Rosalie. Yes. You focus on the goal. You don't pray against poverty in your life. You pray for abundance. You don't pray against the conflict in your family. You pray for love and harmony in your family. You don't curse the darkness. You light a candle. And that's what Isaiah is doing. He's using the finished tense here. And it hasn't happened yet. Through the eyes of faith, he sees it as being completed. The light has shined, he says. This is done. This is finished. And then you live your life in the direction of that promise. Repeat after me. When praying, always pray the promise, not the problem. So we get more of what we focus on. We get a lot more of what we focus on. If you focus on the problem, your mind will be on the problem and you continue to multiply the problem. What do they tell people when they're walking across a high wire? Who saw, like I did back in the 70s, that guy who strung a rope between the World Trade Center things and went back and forth on it? It's just crazy stuff. And what do they tell those people? Don't look down. Don't focus on not falling. Focus on walking across the rope. So faith is all focused on good things. Paul says, Whatever is good, whether it's pleasing, whatever is beautiful, think about these things. Fill your mind with good stuff, and you start to attract good stuff. That's what faith is all about. So, who thinks there's some darkness in our world right now? Who thinks it's easier to curse that than to light a candle? It's much easier to complain. And the older I get, the older I get tempted to go into old crabby guy syndrome. You know? Wear your, wear your pants up to here and complain about the government all day. You know, you, you can do that. It, it gets really unattractive. Instead, we can go out and we can actually do something good and shine some light on something rather than just complaining. I did tell you this, but 
Complaining is not a spiritual gift. It's not on the list. It's just not there. And it's so easy to get into it. And the smarter you get, and the more you get educated, the more you see the world, the easier it is to complain because you know more stuff to complain about. If you're ignorant, it's harder to complain. And so as you grow in wisdom, you can say, well, that's pretty stupid. You know, next thing you know, you spend the whole day. And, and what do we do? We get more of what we focus on and less of what we don't focus on. We want to focus on good things. So Isaiah does that. And many of the predictions of a Messiah and a restoration of Israel are from the book of Isaiah. Why? Because Isaiah says God is real. Our situation stinks. But if God's promises are true, that means we want to lean into the promises. So let's say you got a problem in your life. Who here doesn't have a problem in your life? John. John's got a new girlfriend, so he's he's in that haze of no problems. So he's, he's, he's smiling a lot. So we'll just let him have his you know few months of that kind of thing. <laughs> when you've got a problem. Find a promise from God, a promise for healing, a promise for prosperity, a promise for forgiveness and getting past shame, a, a promise for inner transformation, a promise for whatever you want to find in the Bible, and then act in accordance with that promise as if it's already happened and you lean into it. Pray the promise, not the, the problem. That's what Isaiah does. The country's falling apart on Isaiah, and he's, he's preaching good news and promises. And so powerfully that people really get into it. So what about this Christmas thing? Is it really, go to the next slide there, Kim, if you would. Go to the one before that. That one right there. So is Christmas really just the Roman Saturnalia and all that kind of stuff? Well, the truth is, the Roman Empire, same time of Jesus, what do we say in the Apostles' Creed? Crucified under Pontius Pilate. Poor Pontius Pilate's mother. You know, he ends up in the creed, you know, right there in the worst possible spot. But anyways, he was a Roman. This was the Roman Empire. Jesus lived under the rule of the Roman Empire. If he'd had a passport, it would have said Rome on it. That was the country in charge at the time. And the Romans around this time of the year, which is the winter equinox, which is the shortest day of the year, had what they called the Saturnalia. And the Saturnalia is the time at which they would celebrate the sun coming back and the days getting longer. Who's looking forward to longer sunshine like I am? Especially people who work outside. It, it gets dark really soon. It, it's just kind of depressing. Like four or five o'clock, it starts to get dark, you know, the whole thing. And what happens is the sun... The sun straight overhead bounces off the Tropic of Capricorn and starts heading north. And it's just started heading north again. So the days are getting longer. Summer is on the way. First day of winter, but summer is on the way. And here we go into the time of sunshine expanding. And the Romans would celebrate that with the Saturnalia. And what do we get from the Saturnalia? Gifts and office reveling, uh, work parties. Who here has been to a Christmas work party where people got drunk and bad stuff happens. It's it, this, those things happen a lot. And that came from the Saturnalia, lots of like reveling and singing and all that kind of stuff. So there really was a Saturnalia. And from Northern Europe, 
Who here has Northern European roots? Scandinavia, Germany, all that kind of stuff. Okay, lots of you. Northern Europe had what they called Yule. And from Yule, we got trees, lights, and mistletoe. Kissing under the mistletoe, those kinds of things. And big bonfires in the middle of the at Yosemite. They still Don't they throw a fire thing down the hill or something like that? It's against the rules. No, yeah. They'll have to use an LED one now. It's wrapped in bubble wrap so it doesn't hurt any plants on the way down or something. So, anyways, that came from the Yule celebration, you know, kind of fires and all that. And that is also during the winter equinox. Because people look forward to the days getting longer and they celebrate that. They celebrate those things. And so we do pick up some stuff. I noticed that some of you are wearing red. Not just any red. We didn't get that from the Saturnalia. We didn't get that from Yule. We got that from Coca-Cola. It's true. Coca-Cola gave us the colors red and white, and they dressed up Santa in red and white. The reason you're wearing red is not because of Jesus, not because of the Saturnalia, not because of Yule. It's because of Coke. And Coke decided in their advertising thing, they're going to dress up Santa Claus in Coca-Cola colors. And ever since Coca-Cola did the ads, he's been wearing red and white. They took St. Nicholas, who loved children and a whole bunch of other stuff, and they turned him into Santa Claus by way of Holland and Sinterklaas and a whole bunch of other stuff. And they created this Coca-Cola guy. And we still tell our kids that he knows when you've been sleeping and knows when you're awake. So uh, thanks to Saturnalia, the Yule, and Coca-Cola, we do what we do. And we seem to think that red is the, is the color of Christmas. Well, you can say, exactly. We'll say it's the blood of Jesus. No, but as as Kim says, let the kid get born before we kill him. You know, it's uh, it, you can't celebrate Easter yet. This is Christmas, so you don't you don't think about blood with a baby. That's just no. So Christians, what Christians have done? Smart Christians. Smart Christians take what they find in culture, especially missionaries. They take what they find in culture and give it a love upgrade. A smart missionary doesn't swipe things aside and say it's all evil. A smart missionary takes what is there and transforms it into something meaningful and Christian. You can tell an effective missionary from a failed missionary pretty easily. Failed missionaries go out there and assume God isn't already at work. Everything out there is evil in their culture. We get rid of all that stuff and replace it with Jesus. Good missionaries say, hmm, what you guys do culturally with this party kind of reminds me of this Bible verse. Let me tell you about what this could mean. For instance, Wendy and I were once at, uh, we had friends in Molokai in Hawaii. And we went to visit them, and they brought us out to dinner with a pastor who was leaving the island. And I said, well, why are you leaving the island? And I won't tell you what uh, denomination it was, but the initials are Calvary Chapel. And he was leaving... He was, I'm not bashing Calvary, but anyways, he was leaving the island. I says, why are you leaving the island? Because the natives are making me go, and they're bigger than me. If you've seen people from Molokai, they're big. They're big Samoan kind of guys. He says, they're threatening me. I says, why are they threatening you? Because I showed up at their hula festival a few weeks ago. I took out my Bible, and I condemned everything they were doing. Now, a good missionary would put on a skirt and say, I wonder if we can transform 
transform some of this into praising God. And Christian churches all over Hawaii have hula, Christian hula. Folks, rock music. Who thinks some rock music is icky? Some of the lyrics. Who thinks that can be transformed into really good Christian rock music? Yeah, John listens to all kinds of stuff like this. And who thinks that rap music can be confusing to older white people? Who thinks Christians can transform that into some really good stuff? Folks, you find what is there, you transform it into something more loving and bring light into it, and you transform it and change it. That's what good missionaries do. And good missionaries in Northern Europe said, hey, you guys are putting trees in your houses. Well, trees are signs of eternal life, and the light of the stars in heaven is in that, and the wise men followed the stars. If you have any Mexican blood, you've heard of Our Lady of Guadalupe. It's on all over the place. When missionaries went to Mexico, they saw a very dark-colored goddess. And they said, well, really, you guys were probably didn't know it, but that's probably a foretaste of thinking or hearing about Mary, the mother of Jesus. So they transformed this into Our Lady of Guadalupe, and they talk about Mary now. Mary, did you know? All that kind of stuff. So anyways, the whole idea of being a good missionary is not Christ against culture. It's Christ transforming culture. Because Christ transforms us. He doesn't throw us away. Folks, just in case, you know, some of you are thinking about having kids. If your kids don't do what you want them to do, you don't get rid of them and start over. You work on them. You work on transforming them. You don't throw them out and make another one looks just like them. You don't do that. You work on them because people are worth the time to transform. And lots of people have done that for us. They've worked really hard on bringing us to where we are. People have been big influence on our lives. And we want to see more of that. God is not here to get rid of culture. God is here to transform culture. You understand the difference? So when we see Christmas customs, it's our job not to get rid of them. If they mean something to people, we want to bring Jesus into them. And that's what we can do because that's what God's doing in our lives. God doesn't get rid of us. He doesn't just, you know, throw us in the trash bin and give us an, make another one looks just like you. He transforms what you are. Jesus came to redeem and transform sinners, not to get rid of us. Tried that at the flood, and God decided I'm not going to do that anymore. The replacement thing doesn't work real well. I'm going to work on transforming people instead. Who thinks it's a really good idea that God changed his mind on that one? Because he was tired of humankind and thought, well, let's get rid of these people. And even God realized that it's better to transform people than to wipe them out and start over. Because they're just going to be the same anyway. So God is working with us. A higher love upgrade. Bringing light into a situation. What is the first words we have in the Bible that God ever said? Let there be light. Let there be light. Bring light into your situation. And you can bring light into your situation more if you let more light inside of yourself. Who here has ever taught a class in real school? A few people actually taught school classes. Kind of. <laughs> Any teacher will tell you that one kid full of light walking into that room at the beginning of the school year can transform the entire year. 
the more light we have in us, the more we have to share with other people. So we have to let light into our lives. We have to let God transform those dark patches in our lives. And all of us have stuff we're working on. All of us have stuff that we need to continue to improve and work on. So Christians have a higher love upgrade. So Paul on Mars Hill. Tamara brought this up at the prayer meeting this morning. Paul shows up in Athens. At this time, there wasn't a single Christian in Athens. Not a single one. Pagan place with idols all over the place. Statues of gods all over the place. Paul shows up, and he sees all these idols. Now, this pastor on Molokai would have said, get rid of these idols, they're evil. What does Paul say? I see you're very religious. You have one here to an unknown God. Let me tell you about the God I know. Who thinks that's a better sales strategy? And Paul changed the world. And the world is littered with failed missionaries who try to replace what's there rather than reform what's there, rather than transform what's there. And that's what we want to do with ourselves, with the people around us, and with our culture. Paul was a brilliant missionary. And he would always try to fit in with the people he's with. When he's with people who eat anything, he eats anything. When he's with Jews, he eats what they eat. Eats what's set before you, that kind of thing. Just kind of connect with people culturally. And don't be legalistic about it. And see if you can bring Jesus into the situation. See if you can bring the light of Christ, the light of Christmas, into the celebration. This is the main verse that helped Christians choose December 25th for Christmas. Why did they choose December 25th? Because they wanted to transform the Saturnalia and Yule. They wanted to transform it into a Christian holiday. And this is the verse which led them to do this. This is from Malachi, way before Jesus. Let's read this out loud together. One, two, three. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Is this S-U-N or S-O-N? S-U-N. The sun is rising with healing in his wings, and they saw the lengthening days as the best time to celebrate Christmas, to be able to teach people about how when Jesus comes into our lives, the light increases, and the light will continue to shine. And light makes a big difference. I woke up this morning, and I've got a, a watch here that Tim gave me, and it's got it's got um, those hands that light up at night. Except by morning it gets kind of dim because they, they they retain light and then they sort of give it off. And by morning I couldn't tell this morning if it was five o'clock or six o'clock, five o'clock or six o'clock. I couldn't quite tell. Am I holding it straight? Because it was what dark. So I got up an hour too early. I got up thinking it was 6 and it was 5. And when he said, what did you get up so early for? Because it was dark. I couldn't tell. It's the same room, but with more light, better stuff happens. We want to let more life, light into our lives. So, redemption of things, not replacement. Transformation of things, not replacement of them. That's the key to the Christian life. Embrace things and transform them. Now, some things, folks, we don't have to embrace. Some stuff is just plain evil. Uh, you know, horribly bad language, um, 
child sacrifice. I mean, there, there's some stuff you just, there's no embracing of it. But most cultural stuff is fairly harmless. And there's people in other religions who teach their kids, honor your father and mother. Should we affirm that? Yes, we should, even if it's in a different religion. Because that's good stuff. We want to affirm the good things we find in other cultures. We want to say yes to those things because that's how we win souls for Christ. Embrace and transform. This is the difference between Luther and Calvin, two reformers from 500 years ago. Calvin was a little bit on the stern side. Calvin said a lot of great things. Brilliant man. Calvin wrote most of the stuff the pilgrims read when they came here, so they were Calvinists. The problem with Calvin is he was a replace-everything guy. Get rid of anything in church that doesn't have biblical roots. Luther would say, what's the harm? If it's not forbidden in Scripture, we can do it, and we can transform it. So you go to a Lutheran church in Europe, and they left a lot of the decorations up. You go to a Calvinist church, it's super plain. No decorations of any kind. We can actually transform things by embracing them as long as they're not forbidden in, in, uh, in the Bible. The band was up here. Was it you, Kathy, who said, you knew someone once who said that uh, you shouldn't ever amplify? Is that what you said? A pastor said you should never have Christian music that's amplified. In fact, there are, there's a denomination in America that doesn't have any musical instruments because the musical instruments are in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. And so since the New Testament is about Jesus, obviously he must have gotten rid of the musical instruments, even though it doesn't say that. And there's a whole denomination that has only vocal music with no instruments. And they're more Calvinist than Lutheran in that sense. Luther would say, hey, you know, there's as long as it's not forbidden to play a trombone, play a trombone. That's just fine. We can move the things forward that way. So some practicalities before we close up here. There's always tension in mission work. Anytime you're trying to reach someone or bring light into a dark place, there's always going to be tension. That's going to happen. And people think that this war on Christmas is new. For 2,000 years, it's been going back and forth between crazy drinking parties and candlelight services. There's been tension there for centuries, and that will continue to go on. That tension will continue, and to be a good missionary, you've got to be okay with being in a tense spot and asking the Holy Spirit to tell you what to do in that situation, because he always will tell you what to do in that situation. In fact, in America, most of our early settlers here were anti-Christmas. Not because they were anti-Jesus. The pilgrims forbade this, the celebration of Christmas. Why? Because in England, it had turned into a gigantic eating orgy, really. Basically, it was, it was just, it was really bad. Eating and drinking and all kinds of revelry and unfaithfulness and crazy stuff. And so the Puritans came over here, and they were Calvinists, and they said, no more Christmas. we got to get rid of this because it has pagan roots. We're done with it. You know, the pilgrims came in 1620. You know how long it took before Christmas became a holiday in America officially? 1870. 250 years after the pilgrims before it became a holiday in America officially because of the pilgrims. Why did Washington... Cross the Delaware. You've seen that picture of him crossing the Delaware in the ice, you know? Why? Because they're going to beat up on the Hessians. 
The Hessians are Lutheran, so they're drunk at Christmas. It's true. They, they partied for a couple days, and he crosses the Delaware with a bunch of Puritans and beats them all up. This It's really true, because they weren't celebrating Christmas back then. They did a little bit here and there, but it was kind of suspect. Kind of suspect. And there's always been this tension between a Christian Christmas and a a more pagan sort of party kind of oriented Christmas. That's been forever. So Puritans, Washington, the Hessians, all that stuff. Shine your light this season. Shine your light everywhere you go. And the best way to shine your light is to have lots of light inside yourself. And you can't generate light inside yourself. You have to let it in. To pray every morning, Lord, let the light of your son, let the light of Christ fill me up so that wherever I go, I bring light. I've run into a couple of Bah Humbug people. Who's, who here has run into some Bah Humbug people already this Christmas? You run into them. I posted a thing about Christmas worship, and some guy posted after that, show me one place in the Bible that says we need to, to celebrate Jesus' birthday. I said, well, the shepherds were told to. I'm just following them, which I thought was kind of cute. But. Shine your light this season, and your light is powerful. Say that after me. My light is more powerful than I usually think. You can change any room walking in with a smile and with love and with light. You really can. Even Robert's learning how to smile for pictures. I've, I've seen it lately. He's got a great smile, and he needs to smile way more often. But what, He does smile a lot, but when pictures show up, he doesn't. He gets this firm look, so he's, he's coming on that. That's what happens when you sit on the aisle. So, <laughs> Have good boundaries. Folks, some stuff can't get transformed. I went to a Christmas party once in the harbor, and people think downtown is dark. You should see some of the parties in the harbor. Oh, boy. I knocked on the door to use the bathroom at this one party. and I got invited by someone who got invited by some Christmas party. And there was a couple whose marriage partners were elsewhere. They were doing what, anyways, in the bathroom and, and smiling at me saying, don't tell anyone. That can't be transformed. <laughs> There's certain Christmas things that you've got to have good boundaries. <laughs> that can't be transformed. So have good boundaries. There's some things you just, most cultural things we can transform into something Christian. Some stuff you just, no, you just, you just can't. Have good boundaries. Can't embrace everything. Know your history as best as you can. And help people understand that, hey, Christians, yeah, these holidays have been around since before Christians, but Christians have brought light into them and transformed them into family things and holidays where people care about each other and they focus on the good things and the story of Jesus. Watch for incarnational moments. Christmas is the celebration of the incarnation. What does incarnation mean? The word became flesh and dwelt. Carniasada is flesh, literally. That's incarnation. Enfleshment. Jesus was enfleshed. And so incarnation means Jesus became flesh, literally. And look for moments when you can bring Jesus into physical things around you. Invite Jesus into a situation where you're going to have a hard conversation with somebody. Invite, watch for those incarnational moments. Watch for those moments. You, you mentioned that there's some flowers around here to smell. That's an incarnational moment. 
I went around and smelled the flowers. I also blew my nose, but then I came back. You know, it just seriously, folks, in the middle of our regular life of blowing our nose and everything else, there's flowers out there to smell. That's an incarnational moment. Yeah. In December. An Easter thingy coming up already. That's an incarnational moment. Look for those incarnational moments. Share those incarnational moments. Look for God at work around you and notice the beauty of what's happening. <clears throat> Look for upgrade opportunities. Same thing. Last one. Look to transform, not eliminate roadblocks. A lot of roadblocks are actually transformable things. Things that are in the way that might even have some... Per Who here has learned from a roadblock? It's often a great lesson. There's often some good things that we can pick up there. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And we're going to look at Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. And once again, this is Isaiah bringing light into a very dark place. Who wants more light brought into our culture? Who wants to see the days get longer and, our, and also our spirits get brighter and make a difference here in this area? Absolutely. Let's look at Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. This is, <coughs> this is Isaiah again writing, In a dark, dark time, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Once again, he uses the completed tense. The glory of the Lord has risen, completed tense. Let's live into the promise, not the problem. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and who thinks that happens from time to time? I can't even watch the news right now because it's just so, ugh, you know, just stuff. And the world's actually doing pretty well, but the news wouldn't, it's just, you know, doom everywhere. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will rise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles, the nations shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Who wants to receive that promise for our country, for ourselves, for our church, for everything? Let's live as people living in the light this week and the whole decade to come, the 2020s. Let's stand. Lord, I want to give you thanks for Isaiah. When a dark time proclaimed light. And we proclaim light over every person in this room, Lord. We proclaim light. We, we pray, Lord, that you would shine your light right now into our hearts. And Lord, sometimes we take a glance at the sun, even though we're not supposed to look at it. But I just pray, Lord, that that, uh, that that level of brightness would start to fill us up. Not that we would generate that light, but that that light would be received into us. We pray, Lord, that you help us to see those incarnational moments where you're at work. When we see the light in other people, we would affirm it and say, hey, I see the light of God in you. And I want to affirm you and encourage you to continue to let that shine. Lord, each of us can do that with at least one person this week that we see who's carrying your light. So, Lord, we pray that uh, every morning we'd ask for more light. That you'd fill us up, Lord, so that uh, we have an excess, an abundance of light that has to get out and touch other people. Lord, we give you thanks for Christmas. We give you thanks for your son being enfleshed among us. We give you thanks, Lord, that uh, he came bringing the light, as John 1 says. And the darkness will never 
overcome it. And we pray this trusting your word in Jesus' name. Amen.